Well, this morning I want to talk about and give some instruction here uh, at the second part of the surface. Uh, um, and, and my idea as this was developing in my mind was that from t- time to time as believers we need a tune-up. From time to time we need, I'm not going to tune you up, but we need a tune-up to examine, to look at things and see how we're doing and, and maybe um, refocus on areas of our lives and, and think about some things. And this morning's um, message uh, is, about our, is about the topic of a biblical worldview. Now, a bi- uh, let, me, let me just describe here, I've got a paragraph here or some sentences here that describe what a worldview is. It's a set of beliefs used to understand the world, worldview. Make sense? You make decisions in a manner that is consistent with what you believe. The decisions you make in life are made consistent with what you believe. And oftentimes, and, and I'm, I'm speaking to believers here this morning, those of you who are believers, those who call yourselves Christians, um, it's interesting today that a lot of people call themselves Christians There are some places in the world where um, if a person isn't, for instance, a Muslim or a Hindu, then they choose Christian, and and maybe it doesn't mean the same thing that it means to us, but to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian is is it means that you're a disciple of Christ, you're a student of Christ, you're a follower follower of Christ, you're someone who has surrendered to Christ. And this world is pressing in and working on us and working against us to dilute, to derail, to destroy those things that Christ is doing in us and Christ is doing through us in the world. And so this morning we're going to look a little bit at, at that idea because your worldview affects what you believe about God, about marriage, about politics, about social structure, structures, about environmental concerns, educational things, economics, raising of children, what kind of foods you eat. Everything in your life is influenced by a worldview. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that there's some religious formula for every little thing you do and that this isn't going to be a message about rules. It's not going to be a message about you've got to do things just these certain ways. Um, that's kind of in the other direction where um, in, in the New Testament it talks about or labels those individuals scribes and Pharisees, those who are so focused on and invested in and zeroed in on the rules and the laws that they forget other elements of the kingdom of God like grace and love and compassion and those kind of things. That's not what this message is going to be about. Your worldview, though, is like a... Um, we, have, we, we live in a marvelous age where we have so many good um, illustrations. Your worldview is like a... You ever um, have your phone and it's going kind of slow and you go, man, I haven't cleaned this thing up in a while and you do like a double click or you swipe up and all of those things that are running in the background are lined up there. I know, I know I do. And then I go, swipe, 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 swipe. They're all running in the background. Well, your worldview is running in the background. It's always running in the background. And it influences decisions you make and things you do, opinions that you have. And uh, it shades, it colors, it directs the way you view every single thing in your life. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. 
I'm going to springboard off of this. It has some interesting words that Paul says to us. It says this. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. So that, descri- that, that describes a humanist, if you will, worldview. I'll, I'll just... Humanism, I think, in, uh, captures the biggest um, idea of conflicting with a biblical worldview, so I'll just use that phrase. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, in verse 5 it says, um, live according to the Spirit. Um, And I'll call this the biblical worldview. Psalm 119.105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And backing off the idea of a, of a worldview or of your, of your program playing in the background, some people think of that as, you know, when I, when I need a little help, I'll go to the word and it'll help me and I'll, you know, it's like a flashlight when the lights go off. You just use it in times of emergency. But the word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path every day. It directs you, it leads you, and it guides you. So this biblical worldview, think of it, think of it um, if you wear glasses or, or, or if you don't think of it as your sunglasses that you put on. A worldview are the glasses that you put on and you see everything through that worldview. Um, someone I love um, gave me a book recently. I forget what occasion it was, but they gave me a book. Um, we, tr- we trade books. They're, they're close to me. We trade books, and it was a book, um, it was called um, Cast, uh, C-A-S-T-E, and it was written by a college professor, and the topic was racism, and um, this person likened the caste system in India to racism and how it holds people in bondage, and, and it was a book that had a lot of interesting history in it and occasions and situations, but then brought many situations um, into, into her um, dialogue that were puzzling to me that didn't seem like race situations to me at all. And, but I'm reading it. I'm reading it because um, the person um, who gave it to me is someone that, that I love, and so that's what I do. Um, so that eliminates all of you who are going to try and give me a book now. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. So anyway... So I'm thinking, why do I think? I'm not thinking, oh, that's stupid. Oh, you, you dumb person. Oh, that's not what I believe. I'm thinking, why do I think so differently than what you're writing? Because you obviously believe what you're writing. And, and you believe it strongly that this is that way because of race. And this is that way because of race. And everything she saw was because of race. And there were some really powerful points in there about uh, in, in historical um, accuracies and all of that. But I thought, why, why do, and not that I don't believe that there is racism, I believe that there is, but why do I think so differently than she does? And I thought, you know, and that's what got me thinking on this worldview idea, this worldview idea. And I thought, you know, why don't I think the way that she does in that? And, and part of it has to do with the fact that, that I don't see the world through her experiences. I don't see the world through... Her education, I don't see the world through those things. 
So some might, some might um, identify that as you know, um, white privilege or something like that. I don't know what it is. I know that I was raised by parents who taught me from the very first that everybody's the same. We're all created in God's image. And so that, those are the glasses that I have on. But it got me thinking about worldviews. And so I began to think about why do I think the way that I do? Why do I think about the things that I do? And then it got me thinking about a biblical, a biblical worldview. And, I, and I'm off that illustration. I'm not saying that isn't, there isn't biblical worldview involved that, but this is now. But that's what got me thinking about this. So I began thinking about it. And, and um, um, the glasses that I wear because I'm a believer are, uh, are, are glasses that I confess, that I say, um, are biblical or, or, or have that as a worldview. So um, 1 Corinthians um, 2.14 gives a contrast of that. And the contrast is this. The natural or the carnal man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Let me, let me read that again. The natural or carnal man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Now, here's, let me just insert an element here. You're walking in, in an interesting time in our nation's history right now. There's turmoil and tumult. There's, there's kind of black and white, kind of gray. The, in the middle has been eliminated a lot and so now there's just black and white and you wonder out there as you listen to things why don't I get that or why don't they get me I mean that's a thing you might ask why don't they understand where I'm coming from and it's because of this element of of the dichotomy of the two worlds the two realms a spiritual realm and, and a carnal realm a natural realm and so that becomes, becomes pretty clear in verse 6 of that Romans 8 um, scripture portion that I read. It says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, I want to I address that idea of death right now. There's another scripture, Romans 6.23 it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus, through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we embrace this kind of common idea, which is a true idea, that an unsurrendered life, that, that well, I'll say, better say it this way, that Christ sacrificed his life as a payment for my sin so that I could have eternal life. That's the good news. The good news is you don't have to work. You don't have to follow rules. You don't have to do sacrifices. You don't have to do any of those things to be restored to God. That was a really tight statement. The tight statement is you don't have to do those things to be restored to God. That's a context right there. Okay? And death... Is, is kind of eternal death. And uh, uh, those, those who have to pay for their own sins will pay for their own sins. 
those who have not accessed Christ's payment for their sins. He died for our sins. So he says, here's my death, here's my blood shed for your sins. That's the payment. So now the ball's in your court. And this is why God doesn't send anybody to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. And you know what he did so nobody has to go to hell? He sent his son to pay for their sin. So when somebody carnally minded, not spiritually minded, says, oh, I just got to do what you say, or I don't want to serve your God, he sends people to hell. No, my God's the one who sent his son to die for the sins of every individual born in this world so you don't have to go to hell. And you have the choice. You can say, no thanks, I'll pay for my own sin. And God's heart is broken over that. God, God weeps over that. So we, we commonly think the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord as, as that death, that eternal death. But I want to suggest to you today that there's a death that happens to the presence, to the spirit, to the voice, to the conscience of God in us when we walk in disobedience. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about your victory. I'm talking about the 100% that God wants to walk and live and deal in and through your life. In John, the scriptures say, um, he who loves me obeys me. Again, that's not in the realm of, when's the last time that you saw somebody who broke the law covenant of lying or, or violence or, or broke some sin and lightning flashed from heaven and killed them? That isn't, that isn't the context. Okay, The context is that in obedience, we have, it says here, um, be, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so in, the, in a biblical mindset, we need to nurture our biblical mindset. We need to bring correction where, where the world has infiltrated and leaked in. And folks, sitting in this room are a bunch of forgiven people who are going to heaven who are struggling with world mindsets that have infiltrated and leaked in. I'm, uh, we'll just talk about that a little bit. But I have, to, I have to just make clear to you, I'm not saying that if you trip or stumble or fail, watch out for the lightning. That isn't how God works. It just isn't how he works. I mean, it'd be super convenient, but super lonely around here. There'd be a lot of lightning. If you understand what I'm saying, say amen. amen. Okay, so the context of what I'm talking about is life and peace, is the vitality of the kingdom of God in us, okay? When um, um, every, every, um, every uh, fall, which season is it right before winter? Every fall, <laughs> I get the snowblower out and I try and start it. Yang, 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 and I put fresh gas in, yang, 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 and, I, and I, I think, man, I gotta watch a YouTube video on carburetors. I just have to figure this out because every fall, that thing is gummed up and I gotta pay somebody half the price of a snowblower 
to clean that thing out or put a new carburetor on it. It just got to keep that carburetor clean. That, that snowblower runs better. And the guy, he's so nice, he explains to me, well, you know, gunk just is in there and it just happens. And yep, you're, yeah, but I want, I, I want things to be moving in my life. I want God to move in my life and out of my life and through my life. And so to do that, I need to pay attention to these things. Well, I'm hanging out here a little longer than I wanted to, but I wanted to make sure you under, understood that. The wages of sin. Now, sin there... Sin, think of a, a target, bow and arrow shooting target. Um, Pastor Jake took up bow and arrow hunting. Um, here's the target. And that target has nothing to be afraid of with Pastor Jake. Not a single thing. Right there. Target like a deer. That deer is eating. He's standing there. He's at peace. He knows Pastor Jake is in his blind, you know. He's getting better, though. He's getting better. They're going to have to be afraid next year. But think of that target, that target. And um, um, sin is not hitting the bullseye. Sin is missing the mark. Missing the mark. There's the mark. Missing the mark. Okay. We all miss the mark. Okay. So when we consider for the wages of sin is death, the wages of missing the mark um, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus our Lord means that not that we have to obey perfectly. There, there, is, a, there is restoration. There is forgiveness. We're going to consider that and look at that. But consider applying it. Uh, uh, to living. Previous verses to, to um, um, Romans 6.23. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You were free from the knowledge of guilt when you were slaves to sin. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? There comes an awareness of sin. For the end of these things is death. Now, again, I'm, as I mentioned, God doesn't strike us dead dead. We ex but we do experience death to our conscience, death to our spirituality. Our hearing ear becomes dull. Verse 22 says, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves or servants to God, you have fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. There again, that's speaking to what I'm talking about. Fruit to holiness in this life, effectiveness, faith, strength, um, 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 Courage, all of those things that are nurtured and that grow. Now, this clearly describes the situation we experience when we obey God into growth and sensitivity in the spirit or when we disobey God to deafness and callousness to the spirit. And then the example continues. In, uh, we see it in Romans 1, 18 through 21. The wrath of God is revealed in heaven all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things that are not fitting. And I'm, I'm using this as an example that as believers, say I'm a believer. I'm a believer. That's a monkey song. I love that song. Yeah. In my life as a believer, 
nurturing those things moves to life and peace, and I have to examine, I have to re-examine, I have to, I have to pay attention. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to use an example. I'm going to use a category of sin as an example. It's, a cat- it's the simplest example I can think of. There's lots of others. I could, we, could talk about, um, in the, we could talk about politics. We could talk about economics. We can talk about environment. We could talk about all those things. In fact, I think in this study as I go on, I might, I might try and measure a biblical worldview against all those topics and see what that study brings to me. But I'm going I'm to talk about, a, uh, I'm going to use as an illustration a really simple, obvious topic of sex, okay? Um, nobody likes to hear about sex. Nobody likes to talk about sex. Um, most, but most everybody likes to think about sex, and, and young people like to do sex. So um, the topic that I'm going to talk about is sex. And it's, it's a good one nowadays. It's a good one to measure in this topic because the church, believers, have allowed a laxness to come in in regards to what Scripture says about sex to what is, uh, you know, passe, oh, well, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. And, you know, and, and uh, well, I'll talk about that when I'm done going through this list here. Biblical worldview. What's a biblical worldview of sexual activity? Um, I'm looking around to see if there's any super young kids in here. It's not going to be rated R. It'll be more like, not even PG-13, but more like PG. So if, you, if you've got to run out of here, um, go ahead. So... Um, here, a biblical worldview of sexual activity is that sexual activity is appropriate within the context of marriage. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> oh, there's so many fun things I could say right now. Let all those. <laughs> no. No. Sexual act, biblical worldview of sexual activity is appropriate within the, the context of marriage. Now, um, Scripture addresses many aspects of sexual activity. They talk about, it, it talks about pagan ritual sexual activity. It talks about rape. It talks about homosexuality, polygamy, prostitution, incest, a lot of different topics and a lot of different things. And I'm not going to... I'm not going to... I'm not going to talk about those things because this, this element really isn't the point. But <clears throat> two more, adultery and fornication. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about um, fornication. What is fornication? The Bible um, uses the word fornication. It's a fancy word for um, sex when you're not married, sexual activity when you're not married. Um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there's a lot of people in this room who are sexually active outside of marriage. Lots and lots of people. Why is that? Well, because as believers, with a, with a, as we develop a biblical worldview, there's a lot battling against a biblical worldview on sex. There are hormones. There's a carnal mind. There's physical desires. There's the physiology. The, 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 there's psychology. There's all of these things are working against it. I mean, it's a super, super big challenge. And <clears throat> that topic itself or that element itself is, is very easy for me to say. There's a lot of you who are, are walking in God's patience and forgiveness and you've been set free and you've been delivered from guilt and shame and, 
And um, I, I know when I was 14, 15, 16, and I had a hormone way back then, that, um, you know, there were two things that I thought about, sports and my enraged hormones. I mean, it was, it's just there. Young, young guys are that way. Most young guys are that way. And so we have, a lot to, we have a lot to fight against. We have a lot to stand up against. And so there's a temptation, because it's such a battle and because it's so common, there's a temptation for us to say, well, let's, let's just give a little room. Let's just say, you know, it's okay. Let's just say, let's just, let's just make compromises in that realm in that area. And I'm here to tell you that, that if we're going to embrace a biblical worldview, that's not the answer. I mean, the world wants to tell you you're a hypocrite because you believe in the grace of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, that you walk in forgiveness, that you say you're a son or a daughter of God, but that you slipped up or messed up along the way. And that's because the world doesn't understand grace and forgiveness and redemption and restoration. So anyway, let's talk about in the context of, uh, for instance, um, sexual activity outside of marriage, let's talk about death. Let's talk about how death manifests itself in those areas. Death manifests itself in the areas of, of shame and of guilt. It manifests itself in areas of broken trust, of unhealthy soul ties. I mean, I mean the, the challenge as I, as I um, um, as a teenager, would um, be active in making out and, and, and things that teenagers do and all of those things, I didn't give thought to the fact that this girl that I was with was in an eternal sense, in a wide view sense, someone else's wife. But I did think about it 50, 40 years later that I made out with a bunch of other guys' wives. Now, she wasn't married at the time. And so uh, there would be a thing where I could make an excuse for myself. Well, it was all right, and she wanted to kiss me too. In fact, she probably wanted to kiss me more than I wanted to kiss her. <laughs> you know how we do in our minds. But we, get, we develop, depending on, on um, the activity, we develop soul ties. We develop connections, heart connections, connections that I know many of you can, <clears throat> can understand haunt you at different times throughout your whole life. It can, uh, the, the death might take the form of, of promiscuity to just surrender to continued a disobedience. Um, perhaps death takes the form of disease or disrupted plans or broken relationships. And, and there's a big one in our culture today that it results in a culture that accepts the extermination of the problem as a convenience. And so we, we look and we go, how did we get here? How did we get here? We got here by inch by inch, little by little. It brings death to our soul. It brings death to our life. And, and if you don't find a place where you stand before God, and, and I'm talking about believers now where, where you, just, you just lay before God and you say, God, um, these things haunt me. They bother me. They attack me. God, I need your help. And he comes in and by, by a 
powerful move of his Holy Spirit. He brings healing. He brings restoration he, in, in all of those realms and in all of those areas. Am I saying that fornication will result in any or, or all of these? No, I'm not. Maybe you were active that way and it doesn't bother you at all. You're moving on. The understanding of God's forgiveness and his blood washing you clean sets you free. Praise God. But what I am saying is this, and this is my most important statement. Changing what God says to fit what I do or want to do will result in the gradual death of God's perfect purpose in me. Let me say that again. Hallelujah. What I am saying is that changing what God says to fit what I do or want to do will result in the gradual death of God's perfect purpose in me. So that, that's the example of, of sexual activity. It's just one example. What are some areas of life that I should consider a biblical worldview? Um, consider our relationship with governments and authority. What does the Bible really say about my part or my place with governments and authority? How about taxes? What, is, what does God say about taxes? I know what you say about taxes. Same thing I say about taxes. They suck. I don't like them at all. But what is, what is a biblical worldview about taxes? What does God say about taxes? When I was a pastor in a rural area in south central Minnesota, when, when people would come, would walk, they'd be walking and, and not have a home, they'd be traveling to here or there or, or whatever lifestyle or whatever. And I would have to consider whether we were going to help them or not. There were two easy ways to decide and one hard way to decide. The two easiest ways to decide, the first one was to help everybody and the second one was to not help anybody. Those were the two easiest ways to decide who to help. The hardest way to decide was to pray about it and, and get a word from the Lord and, and do what he said to do. Okay, Now, I could always default and, and help everybody. I could do that. But God has every encounter that we have with people there for a purpose. And I don't want to miss that purpose with those situations. And... and that's an application that we give to a lot of different things. So we want to know what the Word of God says about those things. What about wealth? What's a biblical worldview on wealth? What's a, what, here's a good one. What is a biblical worldview on the environment? What's a biblical worldview on it? Not just what the culture today says or what I say or what someone else says, but what does Scripture teach about the environment? How many of you would like a message or a sermon on what the Bible says about the environment. Six, 16 out of 200. Well, we could probably do that. Free time and entertainment. What does the Bible say about that? Is my life yielded to, um, to pursuing life and peace in my life, in the realm, in the area of free time and entertainment? Man, I don't have any free time. I always think, I don't have any free time. And then I get this thing that pops up on my phone that tells me how much time I spent on my phone last week. 
how do I know how to, how do I know what a biblical worldview is on any topic? Number one, study the word. First Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or rightly understanding what the word says, the word of truth. Number one, be a student of the Bible. Number two, participate in community. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We have a culture today that says, Oh, stop, that offends me. Well, let me tell you something. Offense to you is pressing against things that you strongly believe. When we remove, I mean, one definition, I'm not saying you should go around offending people, but offense means something very, very different today than it used to mean. And if, 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 if you're not in relationship with people who are asking you, why do you think that? Why do you believe that? And challenging and exercising what you think about topics, you're not going to clarify what you think about these things or come to understanding. That group of people around you, they help you. And then the third thing that you should remember to do is to stay humble. Stay humble. Stay humble. Be, you know, be a listener. You don't have to talk about everything. Be a listener. I don't, you know, I don't, there's not a lot of listeners today. There's not a lot of people listening, considering what someone else says. I could have, yeah, it's just, it's just a challenge. Could someone come up and, and begin to play some background music? Because I want to bring this to a conclusion. So, my message here today is this. It's not a message of condemnation. It's not a message of rules. But it's a message of, if out of your mouth you confess that you're a follower of Christ, then move beyond just being a follower of Christ to being a disciple of Christ, one who studies Christ and what Christ says, what the Word of God says, and begin to measure and hold up. The Word is a mirror. The Word is a measurement and a mirror that you hold up to your life and find out in your life where there's some thoughts that, that aren't in line with the Word of God. And if they're not in line with the Word of God, don't give it the, oh, well, you know, that's, that's just a little sin in my life. That's not, having a little sin in your life is not what is meant by living a balanced life. Living a balanced life doesn't mean, ah, there's a little sin, but there's mostly good stuff and mostly God. That's not what is meant by a balanced life. A balanced life involves righteousness, judgment, grace, love, patience, all of those things working, and some of those things seem opposite of each other. But I want you to embrace and understand that living especially in these times, you know, Jesus, a couple of the things that Jesus said that really strike me, one is, when I come back, will I find faith? And for you to walk in power, for you to walk in the testimony of, of the deliverance and freedom of Christ in your life, you have to walk according to what is prescribed in God's word and what it describes as as living a, 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 an obedient, righteous, upright, powerful life. And there isn't a person in here who's doing that perfectly. 
But every believer in here is doing it without blame. You're doing it without condemnation. You're doing it. And as you go, this is just a tune-up message for us as believers. Examine your life. So if you'd bow your heads, if you'd close your eyes, I want to first ask this. I said this wasn't a message on if you step out of line, you're going to hell. That's not what this is about. But if you want the mind of Christ, and if you've never surrendered your life to God by accepting the death of Jesus as the price of your own salvation, you can today. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity by partnering with you in prayer to receive Christ as Savior, to receive the death on the cross that he did as the payment for your sin. If you've never done that, and you want to move from carnal mind to spiritual mind, from natural mind to mind of Christ today, if, the Holy, if you're considering that right now, it's because the Holy Spirit is partnering with you and, and just working on your heart a little bit to get you to say, yeah, I want to surrender my life. The way that I'm doing it isn't working. I, 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 I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yes to Jesus, yes to his sacrifice today. If, if, I can, if I can pray with you for that, just lift your hand up right now. No one's looking around except for me. I want to see who wants prayer for that. Who wants to receive Christ today as your Savior, accept his salvation? Yes. Okay. Anyone else? Oh, good. I got a room almost full of believers. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, a surrendered life to Christ today to say yes to your death Yes to your sacrifice. Yes to the blood that pays for my sin. I say yes to that today. Go ahead and say yes to that. Yes, Jesus. Now come into my heart. Come into my life. I want to be born again. I want my spirit to come alive. I want to hear your voice. I want to follow your ways. I want to walk in communion with my heavenly maker. Thank you for coming into my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed. This message is about living powerfully in these strange, confusing times, living with clear ears to the word of the Lord, an obedient heart to accomplish everything God wants to do through us. I want to ask this question. If there's someone, if there's anyone, however many there are today, that as I've been preaching today, You've been thinking about areas in your life where you know that you've opened your heart to compromise, maybe not in act, but in thought. You've, you've, and, and, and areas that you know have just slipped a little. You're a little bit lax in because you can't quite line things up. Things don't quite line up. Maybe you're under pressure from the world to think that way. And you say, <clears throat> I'm going to stand with the truth of your word. I'm going to stand with a biblical mindset, a biblical worldview, and, and, and even if I come against resistance, even if I come against um, um, ridicule, I'm going to stand up for those things that, that God says are right. I'm going to stand up for those things. And if, if you just sense there's an area or a realm in your life that you want to today say, um, God, 
um, forgive me, I repent, I'm going to turn from those thoughts, I'm going to turn from those actions, I'm going to turn from those ways, and I'm going to surrender those areas to you. I want you to raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. Hold them up. Lift them up. Yep. 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 Many, many, many. Heavenly Father, right now in Jesus' name, we surrender to you. And Lord, I'm going to be a student of your word. I'm going to see what your word says about that. I'm going to talk to trusted friends, pastors, friends, and I'm going to see what areas that I need to lay down. Father, areas of pride, areas in politics, areas in money, finance, all these areas, whatever areas, there's, there's every area of life. There's not a rule for every area of life, but your influence is there. And Lord, right now, I surrender these things to you. Would you all stand to your feet? Everyone? Heavenly Father, we stand before you. We thank you today for your presence. We thank you today for your voice to our hearts. And Lord, we commit as we walk from this place to incline our ear to your voice. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, we want to shine for you today. In Jesus' name, amen.